0: Ladies and gentlemen. This is the PowerShell Podcast. I can dig it. Your home for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The
1: PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey everybody, welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Jordan, along with co-host Andrew. True. And, and today we've got uh, special guest, super mega star, the professor himself, Jeff Hicks. Hi, guys! Welcome back, third Thanks. time appearance. As we discovered a over, uh, we discovered over an argument about three minutes ago. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we've been doing this for a while now, but uh, it's it's great to catch up with you. We talked to James recently about Summit and how it's coming up. And we're going to talk to you a little bit later in this interview about the OnRamp program and some other cool developments in the PowerShell Summit space. But this is our pre-show. And I, this might be your first time joining it, on us. And uh, yes. what we like to do is highlight some cool stuff from the community, different things that are going on, give people some links to click and some stuff to check out. Because there's just so much good stuff in this community, as uh, you contribute to and I'm sure you see all the time. So to get things started off gently, we'll start easy. We have the PowerShell and DevOps Global Summit. Early bird tickets are now on sale. So you can get your tickets now to PowerShell Summit in lovely Bellevue, Washington. And listen to our episode with James for a bunch of cool new details about that uh, that are coming to Summit.
0: Yeah, you should get your tickets. Not that you can, but you should get your tickets now because it'll probably come closer to selling out than we did last year. Each year since COVID, since we've come back, Attendance has ramped up a little bit more. And um, I was at some conferences this fall. I was amazed at the number of attendees. So I think the limitation on travel for a lot of companies is lightening up. So I would expect a good crowd in Bellevue in April. So if you're thinking of coming, do not wait.
2: And this is April 8th through the 11th. Fantastic conference. We always talk about it if you're in North America. a
0: slightly and- different week than last year.
1: Yeah, a little bit earlier
2: in the
0: month,
1: I think. So if they're selling early, bird, does that mean uh, they've let everyone know who is going to be speaking at this one, or is that process still being... still? As
0: far as, yeah, as, far as I know, they're still uh, going through the call for papers. I think James is hoping to announce some speakers and stuff before the end of the year but it really doesn't matter because you know the speakers are going to be intense and the content is going to be intense and the hallway networking se- sessions are intense so oh yeah it, it, in this for this event it almost doesn't matter who the speakers are
1: well it wasn't for me it wasn't so much the speakers it was if you buy a ticket now and you're chosen to speak do they reimburse a- after the fact or how does that oh all...
0: yeah i think it i think they'll Take all that into account yet,. so okay. don't, so if you buy a ticket now and you then get chosen to speak, I'm sure you'll'll'll they'll, they'll accommodate that.
2: It was a good time last year. amazing. We just talked to Kevin, who is a first time attendee who had an amazing experience, had a ton of takeaways that he took back with him to work, and it was kind of a really good stepping stone for him in his career. as someone who's already capable of writing PowerShell and all these things, like it's still cool all the takeaways people get.
0: Yeah, and if Jordan gets a, a session, then I definitely will make sure that I can get away and sit in front row. And- would
1: would you, you judge right. me if I said I put forward no submissions?
0: Oh man.
1: I'm I am unlikely to be able to attend this year. Oh and, and I am very bummed about it. But I'm hoping it's a one year hiatus and I'll be back in the swing of things.
0: All right. All
2: right. Yeah, it'll be a good year though. Second link on our pre-show is Ask Jeff from November, 2023. And you're Jeff. So this is your, what is this? A little sampler from your Substack?
0: Yeah, so I have a um a premium Substack newsletter that I do. And part of the <clears throat> subscription is when people can ask me questions and say, hey, I'm having trouble with something. That never really has worked out the way that I thought it would. So I've just been using my last article of the month, is typically I publish like seven or eight a month. <clears throat> the last article is kind of a catch-all. I just have like little snippets of things that I have thought would be of interest to readers. And I generally make that available to everyone. Who, so you don't have to have a paid subscription. Um, so it's, it's meant to kind of share to the community and also to kind of ideally, because it's a paid subscription and I'm trying to retire, <laughs> I would let like some income to help retire and pay for the dog food and all of that, and my wine um, and bourbon to uh, get people to say, Oh, yeah, this is good stuff. And yeah, I will contribute a little bit and I'll support Jeff and his efforts and subscribe to the newsletter. So that's why, why it's there. Anyway, so yes, since we're recording this beginning of December. The November uh, wrap up article is online now. But you got the link there in the show notes for the Substack. Newsletter. You can go back and you can find what you can read, and most of the articles have uh, at least the opening. The opening part is available to everyone, and then you'll hit the unfortunately you hit the paywall thing. But so hopefully, if I've done this right, you are intrigued by what I'm writing. You say, "Oh yes, I need to. I need to know more," and you'll decide to help me make my retirement dreams come true.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty cool. So it's kind of similar to a blog in some ways?
0: It is. Yes, it is similar to a ways. You'll get, the way I guess Subject does it is uh, you'll get an email when I publish, and they also have an app where you can read it on the app, both on Android and iOS.
1: Awesome. Sounds like your dog's got a hold of a squeak toy.
0: (laughs) Oh, you can hear that? That's the... The blue jay outside my window oh, blue. Oh, yeah. oh okay you got a hold of the
2: blue jay no <laughs> no we love blue jays here okay let's get it right we love birds there is a friend of the podcast christian ritter has a new blog article powershell performance test get the maximum it's about efficiency and uh, for exploring the retrieving maximum number from arrays of different sizes using measure object sort object in a more mathematical method Cool. Check that out. Got to support Christian and his blogging because they just keep getting better and better. It's really cool to see people get more active and and you can kind of see when they take that next step and we just get to enjoy some good content. So shout out Christian Ritter. We also have a cool blog on getting download links from web pages using PowerShell. Um, This is on blog.griff.systems, which I don't exactly know who they are. That is a new one for me.
0: Yeah don't know that one either.
2: Maybe we'll see some more from them. Uh, Link in the show notes. And we have an extra special, I wouldn't call it a community contribution in the traditional sense, but we have a uh, fundraiser we'd like to highlight um, from Sean Carney. Jeff, can you tell us a little bit more about this?
0: Sure. Um, For those of you who have been around in the PowerStore community for quite a while, you may know Sean or know of Sean. Uh, He was or is, and he's is, uh, a very active member of the PowerShell community, was very instrumental in the early days in really building the community. He did a lot of funny music videos. Uh, he wrote a lot of scripting guy articles. Some of you may have read his material and not even realized that. Uh, he just a, a really nice guy, very enthusiastic. Some people might say way too hyper in some ways, but. That was just his bubbling, overflowing personality. Um, He eventually worked at Microsoft for a number of years. His dream job, he's really happy. Um, I saw today that he is really struggling with um, a lot of changes in his life. And uh, there's now a GoFundMe page. And again, I think we have the link in the show notes where he needs some help. And so we need to... As a community, he kind of supported us in the early days, and I'd like to see if the community can gather around and help uh, support him in his uh, trying times. So if you read the link, you'll see well, what's going on with him, and that's about all I uh, really want to say for, for, say for now.
1: Yeah. Okay. We'll definitely put that up in the show notes. If you, if you can, it would be appreciated.
2: Yeah,
0: Sean, we're thinking about you.
2: Let's show uh, the community some support. And there's also a cool video. So apparently he had some history with writing some PowerShell songs. And in the show notes, there's a link to the Highway to PowerShell, which is a rendition of a different song, Highway to Heck, um, from MVP Summit 2012 that Jeff shared with me. Pretty cool. So check it out and do some good stuff.
1: I'm going to laugh at Highway to Heck for the rest of the day.
2: (laughs) I mean, I should have just said it. I don't know. I just, when we hit record, you know, I get, hello.
1: We are are nervous. Kelly's handy with a beep button, but if he beeped that, I would have been, as a longtime person in the radio business, I'm sure he'd be okay referencing music. The
2: actual name of the song, yes. (laughs) Highway to Heck. G. Williger.
0: (laughs) Hockey stick.
2: Now, you know, we said, let's have an interview. And, and Jeff said, let's take this to 11. Let's have a challenge. Let's have a code off. So Jeff, you've prepared and you are the guy when it comes to coming up with hands-on scenarios and ways to learn and do PowerShell. And you have hit us with a challenge that we are going to therefore submit to the community and issue it to them to hopefully submit. So what is your challenge? What is your little coding challenge you got here?
0: All right. So I'll kind of read the challenge. We still have to figure out where we want to post this mm-hmm. so we can chat and you can eventually put something in the show notes as to where people can go we don't have to decide that right this minute yeah <clears throat> so yeah so i used to do um when i had more time um i used to write a lot of challenges for the iron scripter website to get people excited about powershell and get their scripting shops going it's a lot of time you know you learn powershell and go well what do i do with it now so, you need sometimes it helps have like a little exercise to do, something to challenge you. Now, again, the end result sometimes is really irrelevant and silly, in fact, sometimes, but it's the process that you go through to figure out, hey, okay, how do I accomplish this task? And that's where you learn, even though you may not be realizing that you're learning. So, the little challenge I have here again, the end result is probably silly. Uh, But but I think in doing it, you'll discover some new things and maybe push yourself in a way that you may have not uh, had to before. So the challenge is uh, using whatever tools and techniques you want, write a PowerShell function. It can be Windows PowerShell or PowerShell 7 or make it work cross-platform. Um, I think you could make this work cross-platform. That would be my goal. Um, That will. So you're going to write a function. The function is going to query the issue section of a GitHub repo. Because for those of you who use GitHub, you know when you file an issue, often they're labeled, like bug or enhancement or documentation, won't fix or whatever. So those labels then get applied to the issue, and you get multiple labels tagged to an issue. Using what again? Whatever tools you want to do this, query the GitHub repo, look at the issues, and count the number of labels on all open issues. So your function is going to write an object because right, objects functions always write objects in the pipeline. That object should include properties that show obviously the label, the number of open issues by that label and the percentage of all open issues. For example, if there are 54 open issues and the bug label is used 23 times, then you'd show the bug label with a count of 23 and a percentage of 42.59, because 23 out of 54, that's the percentage. The function should work for any GitHub repo, but I want people to test it with the PowerShell repository. And, of course, the function should support best practices, parameter validation, proper error handling, you know, all the stuff that you would normally do.
1: So there goes my code golf plan then.
0: Yeah, this is not a code. Well, <laughs> this does not take an enormous amount of code to do. I knocked this off the core stuff within 30 minutes yesterday. And then I spent the next hour and a half kind of tinker around and polishing it up and making it super pretty. So I know that this can be done. <clears throat> okay, so that's the basic part. If you, which I'm expecting that a lot of people like Andrew, it won't take them very long to do. For the bonus stuff, to really push yourself, once you have that function, then add custom formatting to display the results in a table and include the repository name or the GitHub path as part of the output. So when I look at it, I can see oh this is the repository and here are all the issues and my analysis of those uh, issue labels. That's great.
1: So more, but wait, oh, there's more. Oh,
0: go ahead. If you create the custom view, you should be able to create an alternate view to also display the repository and the label URI that GitHub uses to create a filtered page view. So like when you go into GitHub and you look at the issues, you can click on a label. And GitHub will then create a URL that basically filters everything on that page. You I want to have that in the output that you see on the screen. Because when you do that Windows terminal, that's a clickable link. And so you could run your code in Windows Terminal. You have that link, you can click it in Windows Terminal and up would pop the web page.
2: Nice. That's creative. I like that.
0: That's kind of the goal that I want people to get to. And then finally to really show that you understand how all this works, create what I call a control script. So the, the control script is just a canned set of commands that are going to use the function that you just built and use that function in a script to create a markdown file for the repository showing the top 25 labels. And that markdown report, again, should also have clickable links. So to iterate. You create a basic PowerShell function, get the analyzed issues in a GitHub repo, use the PowerShell repo, then add custom formatting and formatting view with clickable links, and then create a control script that uses the function to create a markdown document. You should be able to get that all done within two hours, well, a couple hours.
2: Yeah, and I think it's okay. a really good excuse to yeah. to learn some PowerShell. And if you haven't worked with REST APIs at all, and kind of invoke REST method stuff, it's a great introduction. Pretty safe to do, right? You're not hitting your own infrastructure. You can't crash anything. You're just querying issues um, in a way that's actually kind of useful and cool. So, love that challenge.
0: I think what I think the best thing to do for this is um, I'm not. I don't want to put this on the IronScripter site. So I will. I think what I'll do is I will create a, a GitHub gist. Gist, yes. And post the challenge, and then have people post links in comments to their solutions, and then eventually, within a I don't know month or so, whatever. Then I'll post my solution there, and people can compare. Does that sound like a good plan? Sounds awesome. Right. So I'll I'll create that. I'll give you the link. So you can include it. So when people are listening and watching this, when it's released, they can go to the uh, GitHub gist um, and add a link to their solution. Okay. So everyone can see what how other people are approaching the problem.
2: And we can send some swag to whoever wins.
1: As I say, this is normally where Emily starts throwing around PowerShell swag or PowerShell podcast swag. <laughs> so Jeff. Yes,
2: I think a lot of people will be familiar with writing functions and be able to tackle at least the first portion of this. But what about for people who aren't? Could we maybe take a second to kind of talk about how when you're writing some code, you have a problem you're trying to solve. How do you go about planning it? If in your mind, it's not really like you can't just sit down and do it. How would you go about as someone who's maybe never used Invoke REST method of defining the kind of steps that you need to go through or the different research points? what are you, what's your planning process like, assuming it's like a thing that's out of your grasp?
0: Um, well, I tried to find what's going to be the core command in the function. What's, this, what's the core of the function? Because most, pretty much all PowerShell functions, they, just, they distill down to one or two commands that you type interactively at the console. Yep. The rest of the function is just dressing and flexibility, reusability, all that stuff. So I first want to find what's the core command or commands that I want to run that's going to allow me to get to what I want to do. I have to make sure that I can run that command successfully, interactively in the console by itself. If you can't do that, don't pass go. Too many people try to write the function and add all the function stuff and then put in their code that's actually doing the work and things don't work. And is it my function? Is it the core command? Start with a command. You should always start with a command that works from the console. Once that works, then you can put it in the function and build around that. So once I have my core command, then I start looking at, okay, what are, what, what am I doing in that command that someone might want to, Change or make it flexible. So, what? In other words, what can I parameterize in that core command? So, in my example here, you know, I want to be able to reference any GitHub repo. How I reference that is going to depend on what my core command is that I'm using to uh, to get the data. So, once I got my core data, and I'd say what I can parameterize, then really the the last thing for me, at least initially, is What type of output, assuming that's a a get command, not setting or anything like that. If I'm doing a command that has output, what kind of output do I want? And this is where I tell people, be as rich and as flexible as you can possibly think. Don't just write an object that has three properties when there are potentially 30 that are available. Because write the object that has all 30 available. You have no way of knowing how someone using your function, which could be you in two weeks, wants to use that output. And you don't want to have to go back and revise it. Yes, you may not want all 30 properties to be displayed by default. That's where you learn how to do the custom formatting. And so they can run your command. You've got your custom formatting and you see a, a concise output. But but. But if you really need something else, they have it if they want it. It's easier to control with formatting than to go back and try to update your function and say, oh, I need to add a property and all of that. Write the richest object that you can to the pipeline. I do does that answer your question?
2: I, I think it's a great start. Um start at the command line, walk before you run, get something working, and then you can start wrapping it. And if you need to loop, if you need to display, if you need to output a PS custom object, the end, whatever, you can do that then. But just start with the one command and figure out how you're going to make that command happen. If you're new to REST APIs, maybe you need to read a couple docs. I will say that, well, is it cheating if I give any hints about this? Or I don't know if it's really a hint.
0: Go ahead, go ahead. I mean, I can give hints too.
2: I think it'll be helpful for some, but you don't need to necessarily authenticate to the API um, for this. So if you're getting stuck on the authentication step, you don't actually need it. Just don't submit more than 60 API requests an hour or so.
0: Right. And there are other ways to access the GitHub APIs without using the native API.
2: Yeah, there are definitely some different ways to, um, I don't want to say skin this cat. It sounds like aggressive, but there's different ways to solve this problem.
1: <laughs> i'm pretty sure I'm, I'm gonna use unapproved verbs uh and then yeah we'll see where we go from there
2: yeah gimme i don't want to use get anymore i'm a gimme guy
1: <laughs> peruse dash
2: <laughs> no so jeff learning by doing i'm always telling people that it's One thing to read code and have it sort of make sense, and I think people really do that a lot reading blogs, but to take the step of actually starting to write code for the first time and start actually writing functions. Um, I I think people feel like they don't have enough time or they don't have issues they can work on at work on that, or maybe the whole kind of idea of finding and solving something on your own, it it can be daunting at first. But these hands-on challenges that you have uh, are so helpful. And I love that there's just like a reference point we can point people to. So like, hey, if you want hands-on stuff, and you don't want to do it in your work environment, or you don't have a nice test environment. Here are some safe things you can do. And really learn PowerShell and do useful things that are, you can kind of change the way you view how you use PowerShell and what you can actually do with it.
0: Yeah, I wrote a, a book of mine up on LeanPub, uh, the PowerShell Practice Primer that I wrote specifically for Windows PowerShell uh, that was aimed at people who completed the month of lunches books, but then said they need to know, well, what do I do with this? So it's 100 exercises that are intended to have you accomplish a very simple task. They're not nearly as complicated as what we're doing here. Um, But in the process of solving that task, you then hopefully have learned something. Um, And if you download the uh, extras files from LeanPub, all of the chapters are PS1 files so that you can open them up in the IC or VS code and they're commented regions with the description of the problem. And then you can put in your notes and your answers. And then when you're done, you have a complete solution of what you worked on and what the problem was.
2: That's the way to do it. If you can make yourself actually invest the time and actually go through it, it is so helpful. So definitely check out that book. I already have a link in the show notes for it. So... And I actually own the book. I've used it. And it's also just fun to read the different prompts, even if you don't answer every single one. I had a good time just reading through them.
0: Yeah, and the book doesn't require, it doesn't get into networking. Um, There's no AD domain. Uh, Everything you can do, you can do on a Windows 10 desktop running Windows PowerShell.
2: Very cool. Have you always been a hands-on learner or how have you earlier in your career gone about learning?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, um, I like tinkering. Um, I think I've told people, you know, I started back in the days of batch files and DOS three, three. And I remember writing my first batch file and making it feel like magic. You know, I could put all these commands in a file and then just type go dot bat and all this stuff happened without me having to do anything. And that just felt magical to me. <clears throat> so I then became fascinated with this idea of, Hey, how do I do all of this? And so batch files became VBScript VB VBScript turned into PowerShell. But Oh, all, all the way through, it's always like, Oh, what can I do next? What can I do next? I'm just curious as to see what else I can do. And I have done stuff with PowerShell that, probably not really was never intended for. You know, I've written games and I have a whole slew of utilities I use to manage my day to from to-do lists and calendars and event reminders just because I like the tinkering part. And I'm incredibly curious about what I can do next with it. So I built that. Um, I think you may have seen, I did that terminal interface for my uh, module that allows me to keep track of my to-do items. And so I thought, oh, I, I want to create a little terminal application so that I can see everything all at once. And I, so it kind of did double duty. One, I wanted that functionality and I wanted to continue learning more about how to build these TUI applications. So I got both done at once, you know, i learned more. So now the next time I go to build a TUI, I have more skills and experience, and that should take less time, and I now have a functioning uh, utility, little application I can use in my PowerShell prompt to manage my day.
2: Interesting. So you mentioned a few things there that I want to talk about. You mentioned games and TUIs. What was the game that you made?
0: Oh, um, I think I did a, and some of these may have been on um, the Iron scriptor side. I made a made a version of shut the box. I don't know if you've ever heard that game. <clears throat> um and I think I did a PowerShell Bingo years ago. I tried to do a blackjack game. I don't know if I got very far with that one, but yeah do I? you know do stuff like you know displaying the weather and all those you know nonsense things.
2: And we recently talked to the author of PS Hangman. There's another PowerShell game, Emil Larson. Um, but on the talk of TUIs, and I, I like TUIs as well, how was your talk at Summit, and what did you kind of learn in your journey with TUIs? I'm curious to hear your takeaways.
0: Um, <clears throat> I think my talk at the, in Prague at P.S. Conf EU was a little more challenging than I thought it was going to be. Um, only because I think I didn't lay out my demos as nicely as I should have in going them from start to finish uh, and, and building something through. I think that would have been a, a better use of my talk. Um, the big challenge with two E's is just getting the assembly, and then, unfortunately, this is a .NET thing, assembly conflicts and how we – Deal with that. Um, if the PowerShell team would get the console GUI tools updated to use the latest um, terminal GUI assembly, would be fine. But
2: they have to ship one.
0: Yeah, they. I haven't looked lately, but I, I think they're still using an older version versus the absolute latest that is available. And then, and, and that what I use in my Work. See, that's also a problem with the you know the WinGet tools. There's a PowerShell module, and that PowerShell module needs to load a .NET assembly. But <clears throat> if you have another module, and in my case, Burnt Toast seems to be the problem. If I've got the Burnt Toast module loaded, I can't load the WinGet module because of the .NET problem. It's not a PowerShell problem, it's a .NET limitation, that there's really no foreseeable fix to that, other than you just have to open up a new PowerShell session and decide what you're going to load first. So that's, again, I'm not a developer. Um, <clears throat> I guess I'll make that disclaimer. So maybe there's a way that to, to handle the uh, version you know assembly version conflicts, but it's a messy thing.
2: Yeah, that's what I hear about assemblies. And every time I deal with them, I just usually end up closing the the PowerShell window and reopening it. But it would be interesting to do like a deep dive into it if there's any useful workarounds or things we can do or things to be aware
0: of. Well, what I did um, actually, I wrote a script that uses the uh, the WinGet module and the Terminal GUI you know, out console grid view, mm-hmm. to basically get my list of available updates from Winget. I pipe them to the GUI with the terminal interface so I can pick the ones I want updated and then hands it off to install the Winget update. But when I run that script, I actually run all of that in a brand new PowerShell session. So the script just creates a script block and then calls PowerShell.exe no profile and then executes that. Yeah, so it's basically it's running like in a new run space, but it's still then interactive with me. Very cool. So that's how I got around the, the version conflict.
2: And for those who don't know, I love talking about OutConsole Grid View. But what is OutConsole Grid View? Because I think a lot of people know about Out Grid View. It's a cool way to see a grid of whatever data you're looking at. And you can even use the pass through parameter to select things and then execute on them, making it very easy to make simple tools to do all sorts of things and maybe not so simple tools. But what is out console grid view?
0: So out console grid view is a command uh, that ships with, you have to install from the PowerShell gallery the Microsoft um,
2: PowerShell graphical out, tools,
0: PowerShell uh, console GUI tools and you get that command. And the latest version has another command I just came across uh, called show uh, object, show PS object. Um, show object tree? Show object tree, yes. So that will display, you pipe an object, and it pipes it out console grid view, or the, the terminal interface, and then has a clickable expansion of the whole object hierarchy. Um, Lee Holmes had a version of this years ago <clears throat> from the PowerShell cookbook, and I think they just have kind of applied that logic and put it in the terminal interface. So the nice thing about the terminal interface, like out console grid view, is that <clears throat> instead of piping it to out grid view, which pops up a whole new window, then you got to move your mouse over and click and all that, this stays right within your window, and it's so then I can just just stay within my window and do everything. And I can just t- I keep my key, my hands on the keyboard, just tab around and hit enter or space or whatever to get uh, to what I need. And I, the mostly works also like in an SSH session. So if you SSH to a machine and open up like out console grid view, I believe that that, that works.
2: Cool, probably Windows Terminal. Most people or, are probably yeah,
0: probably yeah. Working. So I, I don't think it works in a remoting session. So you can't do Invoke Command right and pipe something out Console Grid View. Um, but if you're in an SSH session to a Windows box or Linux box, because Out Console Grid View is also cross-platform.
2: Love that about it.
0: Because the WPF stuff doesn't work cross-platform. but
2: Yeah, I love the the not having to change context, especially as we're listening to this podcast, especially still. Um, you probably use PowerShell a lot in refining your workflow and developing tools that require less context switching. For me, and I think for many people, is going to lead to less fatigue throughout the day. Because we have enough windows to jump through all the time um, one less is always a good thing. Plus, I just love the way the console GUI tools look. Like, I just feel like such a hacker. Every time I'm like writing simple PowerShell that does such cool stuff, um, very, very fun stuff. Maybe we should do a challenge without console GridView at some point. Anyway, stay tuned.
1: <laughs> it sounds to really me like challenges can become a new segment. Mm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> maybe not every week, hmm. but maybe no. some Hmm. Okay, you're giving me, I'm brainstorming <laughs> now. <laughs>
0: yeah, I can see some smoke coming out of out, uh, out of the ears.
2: Yeah, I just love giving away swag, I think is what it is.
1: I think that was the main requirement he had before he took the position, is like, can I constantly give away swag? And once he got that locked in, he was on
2: board. Oh, you know, I don't have a quota, but I'm low on it. I just can feel it. <laughs> I've to send it. So, Jeff. What have you been seeing on GitHub? Are you a, an avid GitHub user where you like check your feed and see what the people you're following have been doing? Or are you a big GitHub guy? I know you have, and I want to cover some of these. You have a ton of awesome utility modules um, that are helpful for like anybody who actually uses PowerShell. But uh, how active are you on just the social aspect of GitHub?
0: Um, probably not as active as I <clears throat> should be. And I wrote, that I have a, one of my repos up on GitHub is uh, the PowerShell Gallery reports or PS Gallery reports? So it runs as a GitHub action, and then it, it <coughs> basically queries the gallery and creates a bunch of Markdown documents that show you what has been published within the last twenty-four hours. And I've got different documents that filter because a lot of the stuff comes from like AWS and Microsoft and. I wanted to have a way to make sure just what are the people publishing and see what's new there. Cause it's not easy. Even though the new PowerShell get stuff is fast, it's still not, as far as I can tell, still not easy to really search or to find what's available. I mean, I wish it was like a true database, but I so so my GitHub action basically just gets every module saves it to an XML file, and then I just build reports off the XML file. So that's where I usually go to look, say, okay, what's new in the PowerShell gallery? Um, And then I can see, or the the other place I watch is, you know, people will post on Mastodon or Twitter, X, whatever, um, you know, about new modules. That's the other way that I I keep in touch.
2: Nice. I want to put a little thought in our listeners' ears if they haven't, because I think what you have here with this PS Gallery Report link and show notes project is a very clever use of the readme.md file. And for those who don't know, if you have a readme.md file in the root of your repository, it displays whenever someone opens up their repository at the bottom. If you've browsed GitHub and you've scrolled down a little bit and read the basics of, of how to use a particular module, that's the readme.md file. Um, and I think you have a very clever usage of it here, where this repository is not a module. It runs GitHub Actions on a recurring basis that generates reports that are clickable in the README, um, if I understand this correctly, which is just very clever use of PowerShell, use of re- repositories, GitHub, which is free and very commonly used in the community. Um, kind of gets you thinking outside the box a little bit.
0: Yeah, so I, mean, I suppose that I, I could have written it as a Azure thing or an AWS thing, but I don't do those things. But I thought, oh, I need to figure out how to do these GitHub actions. So again, kind of double duty. I learned a little bit about writing a GitHub action as well as you know doing the uh what I thought might be a public service, make it easier to identify what's new in PowerShell.
2: Yeah, honestly I might use this for future pre-shows where we cover stuff in the community. It's kind of a different way to find out about other modules that we may not know people are using. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you are, so one thing I've learned from this, so for we help, helping people become better uh, contributors to the community, if you are writing a module and publishing it to a PowerShell gallery, um, two things. One, make sure you include a project URI in the private data. So that when people go and look at your module, like with find module or find PS resource, they can see, oh, here's the GitHub link for that. I know that if I look at a module and I don't see a public resource and it's from a, not from a company, which I can understand, but from a person, I'm going to be less likely to want to try to install that because I want to go look at that code first. So you need to make sure you include a project URI. The other thing I would encourage people to do is, in your module manifest, there's a description entry. Make that description as complete and as long as you can. Don't just make it, you know, gets cool stuff. Because if you look through the reports, you'll see I, I pull the description, and that becomes really apparent, oh, yeah, I don't. So still don't really know what this module does, but you will see that some people do have good, extensive descriptions. And that helps someone want to deploy or install your module because, oh, now I can really see what this does. And I'm certainly guilty of having shorter descriptions. I'm trying as I revise my modules, trying to expand that so that's more meaningful. give your give your module some context. So if someone wants to use it, they can tell from looking at the description, oh yeah, this I see exactly what this does. I can see it and there's the link. I can look at the code. There's a complete readme. So on the GitHub part, don't just have a readme that's like three lines long, have a readme that describes your module in more detail. If you look through my modules, you'll see that a lot of my readmes are pretty extensive and in some ways could kind of double as the about topic for the module. In some cases, I should probably do that more. But you want to give the person who's going to potentially use your module, give them as much reason to install it and use it. Otherwise, why are you publishing to the gallery?
2: Agreed with that. Also, if you run into a module that might be helpful for you and they don't have a project URI, don't forget about save module is there for you. Highly recommend people don't just run code without viewing it at all um, for so many reasons, but definitely good practice to check out the Project URI, save module. Whenever you publish modules, do things the right way so we can have a beautiful page on Jeff's thing and more people will use your module. Um, Especially, I, I really like what you said about the readme, like don't just have three lines. I think most people kind of have an expectation of whenever they scroll down on that readme screen, they're going to get more basic information on how to get started and, and where to go. And kind of they need the full rundown right there, or at least the links to where they can find what they're going to need to use your module. Um, and maybe some good examples. In the past, I've done ones where um, I, I've made sure to include nice screenshots when applicable and things like that. It goes a long way to actually empowering people to use your module and take advantage of the work that you've already done uh, to provide a tool for the community and get feedback and all kinds of good stuff. So.
0: Yeah, you definitely want to use the readme to indicate um, requirements and limitations to your module.
2: You know what I just discovered? Randomly, from (laughs) clicking around on your report, the PS Windows update, it does look like there actually is a GitHub that's from the guy, because there were a lot of forks of PS Windows update on GitHub, but it, it looks like, in the past year, actually in the past five days, uh, the actual PS Windows update GitHub repository, mgajda83 is the name of the person on GitHub. I'll have a link in show notes. Sorry, I just randomly came across that because I, I remember that being one that I think the stuff was a lit a little bit dodgy on, like if they had a project URI. Yeah, they do they? Yeah, I think that's a new thing. So as we're talking about people who had project URIs, it looks like a, a project with... 471 million downloads now has a project URI (laughs) that is good I know that's a pretty heavily used module
1: it's about time they added it then I never would have used it
2: you may have used it you don't even know about it (laughs) all right I want to look at some of your projects because I think that as people go throughout their PowerShell journeys they're going to run into a lot of these situations that your modules solve. Because you've been writing PowerShell for a long time. You have a lot of very cool repositories. And they obviously solve a, a use case. But also, I've found that referring to people like you who write modules, it's very helpful to see how someone else approaches things and the proper way of like doing a module. Because I think that's a big step for people is to go from like maybe they can write a function to a full-on module that's ready for GitHub and the PowerShell gallery and all that. Um, so, you have 110 repositories. You mentioned uh, a work item
0: one, was it? Uh, yeah, PS work item.
2: Right. So, what is that? Because I think we all have work items and, and have things to keep track of.
0: <clears throat> so, PS work item is my uh, to do kind of minor project management um, module, <clears throat> it uses a SQLite database. So, if you install PS Work Item, it will also install another module of mine called MySQL or MySQL Lite that installs the assemblies to allow you to read and write to SQLite databases. So, <clears throat> PS Work Item then allows me to add little to-dos. Uh, I can put in the name, the description, the due date, um, and the category. And then also allows me to keep a percentage, you know, how far am I on the, on the task? So I can do get work item in my command, and I see a little output. The, the default output uses uh, ANSI formatting so that overdue items show up in red. Stuff that's going to be due soon is in yellow, and I can also colorize based on the category. And this is the module that I also then have the terminal interface. That's the uh, what do I what did I call that? I was just use my aliases. Um, oh, open ps work item console. That <clears throat> basically opens up the database in my terminal interface. And there should be a screenshot in the readme on the on the page that shows that. And then I can add or edit or do whatever I need to from the database right there. And you can have multiple databases. So if you have different projects that you kind of want to keep track of, kind of high-level tasks, you know, you could do that and because it because the, the commands basically default to a database that is under your user directory. Uh, but you can specify any path to the to a database file that's been created with the work item. So anyway, I use this all the time, um, so I know what I'm working on, what I have forgotten to do, keeps track of not only my work stuff, but my personal stuff. So I know, for example, that I need to get my snow tires put on, you know, I've got to give myself a deadline of December 11th, and or clean the coffee pot, or replace, it's i overdue to replace my smoke detector batteries.
2: Wow, so you have everything in there.
0: Yeah. So it allows me to keep track of, yeah, so I know I've got some modules that need updating or my port, Pluralsight courses, um, personal stuff, anything that I, I I add entries here, for example, to get my submissions in for uh, PNS Conf EU for next year because that deadline is, is coming up. So I need to make sure that I don't, don't miss that.
2: Nice. And I think earlier I mentioned, you know, the benefit of using PowerShell if you use it regularly, make it part of your tool belt, you know, make it that all efficient. And I think this is a really great example of taking advantage of PowerShell and taking advantage of where you are to make your work easier and your workflow, whether it's personal life, whether it's work life, whether it's a fusion of both and all your responsibilities. um, It's a great way to get things consolidated for yourself.
0: Yeah, I basically run my day from a PowerShell prompt. It's open. For for as long as my computer is running, I always have a PowerShell window open, and I do everything from there. I rarely go to click on anything to open it. I generally just have shortcuts or aliases that if I need to launch Firefox or my Thunderbird, I can launch it right from the PowerShell prompt. I don't go fumbling around clicking and trying to figure out how to do that. I do it all from powershell
1: i'm just i'm sorry i'm looking through the the tui i know i can't really talk about the visual but i mean out of all of the work tracking tools i've been forced to use through my career and i've always had dissatisfaction it it's nice to see something that's just clean here's what you need and that's it i'm on board (laughs) yeah i think
2: it's a pretty cool it just kind of gets people thinking about how can they use PowerShell?
0: Yeah, I, I, again, I, I use PowerShell for everything. I have another module, um, actually two modules that I kind of combined in my profile. One of them is uh, there's a P.S. calendar module that will display a calendar on, in your PowerShell session. And then I have another uh, tickle events, or I think it's my tickle. That uses a SQL database, SQL Express in this case. I need to rewrite that to use the SQLite. But so I have entries for like calendar reminders. Like today's my brother's birthday. And so I think that's why my calendar in my prompt shows it in red. Or if I have, so I've got something coming up, I have an appointment to take my Toyota in on the 11th to get the snow tires put on. And so in my calendar that shows up in my um, terminal window, uh, the 11th is highlighted in green. So every time I hit enter in my console, in my prompt, the calendar looks at the dates and then reflects the, those things in the calendar so I can see when I have something scheduled. So right now, December's a light month. So the only thing I really have scheduled uh, is Christmas and New Year's Day. But I, again, I'm using PowerShell to not necessarily do anything. I'm not managing servers or desktops or, you know, DSC or doing anything like that. I'm just using it. Hey, what do I need to do today? What do I have coming up? And so I can tell at a glance what's going on. That's why I'm a big fan of PS Style. And using ANSI color schemes like in my formatting, because I can add another layer of information beyond just the words on the screen. You know, if I see red text, that tells me something in addition to the words themselves.
1: If, but if you're like me and you're not looking for actual accountability, can I have like a snooze option built in there? It's like sure this is overdue, but let me just snooze that and have it oh, go away. Yeah,
0: well, yeah, like my work items just they're there until I close them or remove them. So it just and if I get tired of looking at something in red for too long, then I just edit it and push the due date back.
1: I like it. I'm definitely gonna be playing around with this.
2: PowerShell all the things, as they say, right? <laughs> Automate everything.
1: I honestly can't even think of the tool that we use to track our tickets right now. That's how oh, often I we look don't wanna say it. We don't want to say the name of that tool. Yeah. Well, the fact is I don't know the name because I don't use it. So yeah. ma- maybe this one will work for me.
0: Well, this would be, this would be nice if you had to, for things like, okay, I, I have, you know, there's a conference coming up and the deadline for submitting sessions is whatever date you can put that in here. So you no, know, oh, I need to get my sessions in or, you know, performance reviews that I have to do for someone are due, or, you know, I need to, Change uh, oil changes due by this date. Remind you to make that appointment, or again, it can be whatever you're that you want to remind yourself to do, or just to keep track of. Again, it's not meant to be a full project planning, you know, it's not Microsoft project, it's just a little reminder. I can see that, um, like, I'm working on a my PS project status module and I want to have it finished by December 14th. I'm about 15% finished for the new items I want to work on.
2: Nice. Now I have a selfish question. I've been thinking about going to like smaller security conferences, you know, like B-sides and things of that level and seeing if there's any interest in like PowerShell content, maybe intro, maybe more security-ish stuff. But have you... Uh, done any of those like smaller security conferences or what's your take on introductory PowerShell to different domains?
0: Um, I'm not done the security stuff. Um, I did present at MMS Miami this year um, and I basically did introductory PowerShell stuff, which was well received. Um, although for me, the issue or the challenge was that that really was my crowd. You know, it was a lot of Intune and ConfigMan and SCCM people. So they're talking their own language and they got their own word in the same way that we do when we're at you know, the PowerShell Summit. So while there was some crossover um, and people were kind of interested, it was more, yeah, that's nice, but you know, it and it may help me in what I'm doing now, but it's not my main gig. And so I, I would think that for the security thing, yeah, it might be nice and welcome. But it's you're going to find that for a lot of people, it's not going to be their main gig unless they're concerned specifically about PowerShell security in, in some way. But you could talk about things like even just uh, like. Demystifying or debunking, you know, myths about PowerShell security or lack of security.
1: Yeah, PowerShell is not the security vulnerability. That that's the title right there.
2: <laughs> that's a great title. Debunking PowerShell myths. Well, if I ever give that talk, I will credit you, my friend. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jordan, he's kind of nailed the question so far.
1: I mean, yeah, he's done he's done solid, but we do have the common parameters which I, I don't even. I don't. I've yet the person that's ready. Like we've we've talked to some legends. We've talked to this particular legend several times, and I don't know if anyone's ever ready for the common parameters. Should
2: we mix it up on him? Because this is the third
1: time guest. That's fair.
2: So hit him with a curveball. Let's do it. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> hit myself with a curveball. No, what is? The most common mistake that you see people uh, at the beginner level with PowerShell, what's the number one mistake or assumption that that is incorrect that they make?
0: Oh, I think that's easy, and that's that people still need to adjust from thinking about text to objects Um, and understanding. Part of that is also understanding um, what right host does versus object in the pipeline with just displaying the object. Or if you have to use write output, use write output. So the idea that people are thinking <clears throat> about what the output looks like, and they're just writing text to the screen as opposed to writing an object to the screen. Or they're comparing, and this is like one of my pet peeves, they're comparing a Boolean value to true to the string true or false. You know, you don't have to do mandatory equals true in your parameter definition. It's just mandatory because it's if it's mandatory and it's there, then it's true. If you don't put it in, then mandatory is false. Yeah. Back in the older days of PowerShell, when this first came out, yeah, we had to do true-false, but that restriction was removed, I think, in version four. But that comes, again, back to when I see stuff like that, that tells me that person is still thinking text and not objects in the pipeline.
2: That's a good one. And I think that's one where, you know, we mentioned PS custom object earlier, you know, playing around with creating objects, creating objects that have objects inside of them and that are kind of nested and things like that. Because it's kind of a, I don't know, for me, it's a little hard to learn initially because it's not like hands-on. It's kind of this thing you got to I mean, you can make it hands-on by running the commands, but otherwise you're like kind of thinking of this sort of nebulous object versus text when, yeah. So spend some time playing around with objects.
0: Okay. So, some people will come from writing batch files or even VBScript is kind of text-based, if you really yeah. think about it. Because when I would write VBScripts that would use WMI to get an information, we'd basically, if you want to list all the properties, you basically had to write text line for every property that you wanted to see versus now we just say, Oh, here is the object or the SIM instance and PowerShell handles all the formatting for it. So we're not having to do line by line or text by text uh, pieces of properties.
1: I feel like I'm missing out on on this one because PowerShell is my first language. So I never really started in text. So I could truly appreciate how great objects are. It's just always been the default for me. I feel like, I feel like I missed out on a great discovery moment on that one where he's like, this is amazing.
2: Well,
0: that's good. That's good.
2: I mean, you probably had some sort of discovery when you were like actually learned how to take advantage of the fact that they were objects, not text. Because I feel like that's kind of a curve.
1: I had been using PowerShell for three or four years before Chris told me what it meant to be object-oriented. And it did blow my mind. It's like I had no idea how difficult it was because it makes so much sense. But a long time without me bothering to learn.
0: Yeah, Back in the um, early days of PowerShell, I spoke at TechEd and did a talk on promoting PowerShell. And and I basically did a comparison between VBScript and PowerShell. And I think I took a VBScript that was probably like 50 lines and then said, and here I can do the same thing, but like one or two lines of PowerShell. And it's no scripting because you're just running the commands at the console and you get the same Result immediately that took 50, 60 lines of arcane, mind numbing VB script. I should try to dig out that code and find those examples so that people know. Back in my day, when it snowed constantly, we had to script uphill both ways. And kids today don't know how <laughs> easy you have it. All right. you know-
1: I, I did I did step right into the easiest time, and I have no regrets. <laughs> I remember whenever I got into it, I was reading all this stuff about
2: version three and things you had to do, and then version five came out and five one, and things got easier and yeah, I haven't looked back all right last question, hardest one yet. if PowerShell were an animal, what animal would it be? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get this one wrong, please. This is uh, <laughs> this is
0: serious business. Okay, well, I'm going to. Normally, I make this joke about SharePoint, uh, but <clears throat> I would say a platypus. So, normally, I say that SharePoint is the platypus of Microsoft products, kind of being funny in that SharePoint is kind of this mix mash of different technologies. But PowerShell is also kind of like a platypus, it is a very amazing interactive management console that we do stuff in, and it's also a terrific scripting language. And we can then use both of those features and PowerShell becomes a glue technology, you say language, but I'm going to say technology, that allows us to do other things like DSC. Um, back in the day, you know, when PowerShell workflow was a thing. Uh, or creating WPF scripts, or stuff using 2 now. All these things that we can leverage PowerShell, this weird little <clears throat> amalgam of different types of animals, to do amazing things. So um, I would say if, if we're PowerShell with an animal, let's go with Platypus, proudly.
1: Mm. That's amazing. That's actually the one acceptable answer.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, if you want Pokemon, Ditto might work, but yeah, <laughs> Platypus,
1: nice. Right. Well, you, you've done well with the not-so-common parameters. As a multi-time guest and and a long-time listener, I assume, I just assume everyone listens. I'm very popular like that. But you are well aware you've been sitting next to a legend, not, well, I mean, on, on a on a stream yard with a legend. Yeah, virtually, You're virtually sitting next to just the premier shillsman of our time. Uh, he has taken a craft that honestly got no respect until he came along. And now it's like Gretzky and Jordan, nobodies. They, they didn't do anything for their expertise to the level that Andrew has for shilling. And we get to sit here front row and just watch some magic happen. Take it away, Andrew.
2: Jordan, thank you. Jeff, thank you for joining us and listeners Thank you for listening. If you're watching us on YouTube, give us a like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell to be notified of new things coming. If you're an audio listener on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of Joyce Jordan, we are worldwide, okay? Putting out PowerShell content every week. You can leave us a review, five stars or greater or less. You know, just be honest. Give us some feedback there. Always appreciate that. Help spread the PowerShell love to others. If you've enjoyed the chatter and wanna to connect to us on a deeper level as host of the PowerShell podcast, you can join us in the PDQ Discord. We have a PowerShell scripting channel where I'm pretty active there, just kinda of chat and seeing what's up. If you have questions, suggestions for future episodes, always welcome there. Um, in our show notes, we will have a link to some podcast feedback. We'd love your feedback if you're a listener, if you're still listening. We wanna make this the best that it can be and your feedback helps us get there. You can send us an email, powershell at pdq.com. Um, we kind of don't do that as much. I'm Andrew Plotek. He is DevOps Jordan. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you on the World Wide Web?
0: Um, <clears throat> I'm on Twitter as uh, at Jeff Hicks. Uh, in the show notes, there is a github.io link that, if you follow that, you'll find all my social links and links to everything that I do online both uh, professionally and personally so that that'd be my recommendation go to the solutions.github.io link and follow me to wherever you are
2: awesome well Jeff always a pleasure to have you I'll see you in it's summit in April look forward to chatting with you on the internet
1: thank you everybody for listening it makes everyone Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick.